Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 95 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from OSCON here in Portland, Oregon, and we're here today with Michael DeHaan, CTO at NetsableWorks. How are you doing, Michael? Hey, thanks, thanks for having me today. And special drop-in surprise guest, co-host, guest, <laughs> I don't know what we want to call you, but we've got Mark Hinkle here as well. Mark is returning to the show. How are you doing, Mark? Good. Um, so, first of all... Michael, you've got a really interesting background. Um, I mean, first off, you're a Raleigh person, and as we discussed before we hit record, all three of us are actually from within about 15 minutes of each other in Raleigh, and we flew all the way to Portland (laughs) to record this. (laughs) Raleigh is a mecca of open source systems management. It is is a small world. (laughs) So you, uh, you I'm using air quotes here, grew up at Red Hat. and you created Cobbler, first of all. Um, I shouldn't say first of all, but probably before this or most well-known for Cobbler. Uh, prob- yeah, I'd say before this, right? So, I mean, it was definitely uh, a, a great opportunity working there to kind of learn open source from like guys that are pretty well-known for it and get engaged with a lot of really, really smart admins. And it's kind of where I got into uh, you know, systems management automation in general, which is what, you know, what Ansible does. And, and you actually, do you have some patents to your name as well? Um, I have quite a few. I mean, we, uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of them are kind of random. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. So uh, Cloud might be illegal. If, if so, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into Ansible and Ansible Works, um, if people aren't familiar with Cobbler, Tell everyone a little bit about Cobbler, what it is, and you're—I mean—you're technically not super involved with it anymore, but yeah, a little bit of background on that. Yeah, so I was at Red Hat for almost five years and, and worked on Cobbler pretty much the full time. And we had a kind of interesting mandate there was to build solutions for you know users of Linux that you know didn't quite exist. And one of those we kind of identified was there wasn't really a good way to install Linux machines, strangely enough. So there was some basic tools in like system config netboot for setting up a pixie tree, and there really wasn't that for virtualization and, and so on. And uh, Cobbler kind of evolved over time because we had a community of a lot of really interested admins, and this was like one of the uh, first major open source kind of pushes for enterprise software at Red Hat. We obviously, the distribution was open source, but a lot of the management tooling wasn't for a while. So uh, we built a lot of interesting things over time and it can help basically it helps you install your machines in your data center and manage your dns and dhcp and power management software uh, repositories and things like that and it, it kind of grew over time to uh manage a lot of interesting machines in a lot of different places it had uh you know some top 500 supercomputers at one point and a lot of you know machines in the, in the financial industry it runs uh at one point it was running some of the machine or uh all of the, the machines underneath uh, Modern Warfare 2 and 3, and uh, that was kind of cool to see. And uh, it's kind of sort of a one of those kind of under-the-radar projects, but uh, very useful for... I, I kind of like to get system administrators together and find ways to not reinvent the wheel, and it was kind of one of those things that we can... Uh, a lot of people have came with ideas like, hey, I'm doing power management. How can I make this easier? How can I make package management easier? And then we can uh, get all of our ideas together and, and share them and... Uh, when you go from job to job, you can just pick up a tool and reuse it. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and so kind of moving on to Ansible and Ansible Works, Ansible came before Ansible Works, 
It did. Correct? So um, officially as a project, Ansible started uh, probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, but it was based on a lot of interest I had at Red Hat when I was working on Funk with uh, Adrian Likens and Seth Dahl. And uh, Seth, he's uh, no longer with us anymore, was a you know fantastic developer and had a lot of great ideas. And uh, you know, so did Adrian. And we built this kind of uh, way to run commands in an API-based way against lots of machines. And uh, it, you know, Funk came on over time, and we, we kind of got involved and got to see a lot of what a lot of people were doing with a lot of the other configuration management tools in this space. Um, but I always wanted to write something that was kind of designed around the need to manage multiple tiers of systems and the kind of the way that IT architectures, in my, my brain anyway, tend to work, where I'm managing web applications and database tiers, and I might want to talk to them in specific orders. Uh, but I also wanted a language that was really, really simple so that when I uh, manage my automation and I come back six months later, I know how it works, and it right. do, I don't spend all my time writing that. So uh, that's what Ansible tries to be, is it tries to be a minimal system for managing a... Uh, a lot of different kinds of IT management use cases, from whether that's configuration management, whether that's application deployment, or uh, you know higher level orchestration, like how do I how do I do a rolling update across my infrastructure? So I'll get the the, the first obvious question. In being in the session, it, it of course came up as well. So so why Ansible? Not why not Puppet or Chef? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or Salt Stack. Or Salt Stack. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think all of those. Um, they they kind of approach it from a programming background to me, um, and uh, like Puppet came around as, as trying to be a way to improve on CF Engine, and it definitely did improve on it in a lot of ways. But I wanted to step back and kind of revisit it and say, uh, Linux and Unix systems are really just packages and files and so on, and I'm busy, so I'm kind of jaded as an application developer, <laughs> right? So um, I really want to write my automation and then go back to writing actual software. Uh, or planning out my IT architecture or my next big business project, right? So um, Ansible in many ways is kind of the uh, a system that I want to get in and get out and be done and keep it really, really simple and really straightforward. But I also wanted to explore a lot of the multi-tier kind of stuff at the same time that I talked about a little bit earlier. Um, and the other thing is this idea that Ansible is an agentless system. So it just uses SSH to manage remote nodes. So I don't have to get any software onto those machines to initially manage them. I don't have to have a working DNS set up, uh, which strangely is actually a really hard problem to get <laughs> SSL working between two different machines. And uh, uh, how many times have I banged my head against that? And uh, the idea that I can just manage something with what's already on the box, and I know it to be really secure, and when you're not managing it, there's nothing there consuming extra memory, and it's just you know really, really straightforward to deploy and, and get going. Cool, cool. Now, so I attended the session earlier. And I actually took some notes, but I look at my phone to, to take them. So, so one of the big things I, I liked was you, you, you use the uh, that it's skimmable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can actually along those same lines. It's actually written that you can. It, it's human readable, machine readable, but at the same time, if you're really busy, you can just kind of skim it and kind of go, yeah. I see what's going on. Yeah, that's. And I was like, I was kind of like a, sitting there. I'm like, ah. Oh. It's really freaking smart. <laughs> like that was kind of my light bulb moment in the room of, of learning all of it and trying to compare tools, right? Yeah. Um, and is that something that, again, going back to that, you're just trying to go do other stuff? Um, <laughs> it, kind of, right? Well, obviously I'm doing it all my time now. Um, uh, so, no, I'm enabling other people to do other stuff hopefully. But, yeah, it is. It is. So, I mean, there's a couple things that come up is – 
if you have a very complicated automation system, you don't really know what happens in your infrastructure, but it also means you're, you're less agile in your infrastructure and you can't respond to change. So when the next business requirement gets out, how do you manage that kind of situation? And uh, I've seen that you know before, and people are with their in-house scripting or whether they're using something else or whatever. Um, I want to make that as simple as possible to know what's going on. And if that actually means that somebody is you know, something new comes along tomorrow and I want to get offensible, that should be great too. I shouldn't have like information like locked up in the tool that says, uh, sure. I don't know what's going on in my infrastructure anymore. And sorry, go ahead, Mark. To that point, um, what are your thoughts on, you want to know what your infrastructure is doing, but like sharing that with other tools, like the, the idea that you have this infrastructure and there's some kind of attributes to this infrastructure and you want to pass it off to monitor, and I'm monitoring. Yeah, yeah. Today, like, like, what's that? La- is that language like exportable so I could use a Nagios check or use Graphite or something to like take what you've already configured and define how you want it monitored? Yeah, there's a couple ways that could work, right? So at, at the basic level, you could use all the variables that were in Ansible to you know template things. And Ansible is really good about saying do this on one host on behalf or about another host, mm-hmm. or do this locally with a reference to this host mm-hmm. name, and that's how it does all its cool rolling update and monitoring setups. And that's pretty common. So that a lot of those ideas came from a, a Funk-based project at Red Hat that was uh, currently called Taboot or Poseidon previously. Uh, but it was the way that they were orchestrating on top of you know Funk, and I wanted to, and uh, had some good ideas there, and then we kind of adapted those into Ansible. The um, so you have those capabilities, but the other thing that you can do is Ansible is really good about pulling from external data sources. And what you can do is suppose I had some variables defined in maybe it was Cobbler, maybe it was LDAP, maybe it was OpenStack or Racks, you know, Rackspace, you know, or EC2, or you know, we've got modules to pull inventory from like Linode and even like DigitalOcean, which is a newcomer. Um, getting variables from all of these sources um, that Ansible can use, but other things can use as well, um, and make it really, really data-driven. So I've, I've kind of taken some steps to uh, try to keep it from being a programming language, uh, because I guess, again, that kind of comes from me being a sort of jaded software developer. The, the less code I can write, the better, right? Yeah. Um, and so we've had both RPath and Bronto yep. on the show before. And it, I think it was – I forget which one it was, but I want to say it was Bronto. It was very much the, the concept of infrastructure as code. Um, and that was probably another kind of theme that I really saw kind of come out today of that whole treating infrastructure as code. And, it, and the Bronto guys in particular I think really embrace that, and it seems like very much along this practice. Well, it's, it's more than just configuration management. It's, you know – yeah, I integration, think, delivery, a little bit of everything. Yeah, right? so I think there's kind of two pieces of infrastructure as code that are a big take, but yeah, takeaway. And I, I, I've been trying to kind of refer to this as you know infrastructure as data, right? Because it really is. It's it's what are the descriptions of my infrastructure? Um, so the idea that you're using source control to track your automation is is super key. That you treat it as a software project that you continuously integrate. These are all really really good ideas. The in my opinion, the problem with infrastructure as code is software complexity. So uh, what we really want to do is like, hey, so I know that these packages need to be installed. Make that really, really easy to say, here's a list of packages that need to be installed. Um, but you should still you know, track that in source control and, uh, and you know, follow a lot of these practices. So we've got some pretty cool examples, like AppDynamics, for instance, 
uh, has got us wired into Jenkins and Garrett for code review, and they can say, hey, every time I approve a playbook change, roll this out across my infrastructure, and that can be up to every 15 minutes. And they do that without bringing any downtime to any of their infrastructure because Ansible knows how to talk to your load balancers and your monitoring and, and can, uh, can choreograph those kind of higher-level operations, which is uh, something I think that's a little bit unique to us as well. But, yeah, the, the keeping things in source control and knowing who changed what is very important. But I think um, you do want to step back and you do want to avoid the complexity that describes your configuration so that you can understand it and you're more agile with like working with it too. There's sort of a, a sort of evolution, like the category, if you will, that you might like pigeonhole um, Ansible in is, is maybe a little bit automation, maybe a little bit config management. But I see the traditional category, but I see with some of the people I've talked to that you're touching provisioning, you're touching configuration management, you're doing service autom um, automation. And that's that's sort of, you know, before people were cobbling, eh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were cobbling together Furback. like cobbler, <laughs> puppet, yeah. and funk, and now you're, you're approaching it as life, as infrastructure lifecycle management. I and that's so. interesting to me. Yeah, so like an example of that is we have a lot of modules for like EC2 management that came from the community, and that's that's one of my favorite parts about Ansible is seeing all the new modules that people contribute and how those expand over time. And it's we've kind of rallied everybody around this batteries included approach of this is like our central craftsman toolbox of all our modules, and rather saying, you know, I got to go find somebody's implementation for this. You know, there's a, a you know my monitoring service probably has an Ansible module, and if not, we'll take one and, and keep it in there and. Everybody kind of curates it and makes it work. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of things, in the, and the lines blur, right? So what is the real difference between configuration management and application deployment? There's really not. Um, the one thing is that the really declarative uh, structured model and is sometimes a little difficult to break out when you need to deploy something that's basically going to be a script installer. So we just go ahead and say, hey, I'll let you write things in order. Um, but the, the higher-level processes in provisioning, like so I, was, I was talking about EC2, is a lot of people have contributed modules for all aspects of EC2. And um, had a user the other day is like, I kind of think Ansible is a better way to describe some of this stuff than, like, CloudFormation is because I can read it better. Because CloudFormation is a big ball of JSON. Um, but we have modules for uh, things like EC2 load balancing, and there's new modules uh, in this release now for Route uh, 53 and RDS and things like that. So... Um, it, it's definitely crossing lines. Mostly right now, the provisioning integration is related to cloud stuff, but I can see you know metal and and, and going on over other things over time. Cool. And <clears throat> so um, we're no we're by no means a floss weekly. <laughs> this is a teeny podcast, but you were on floss weekly. Uh, what was it last week? A couple weeks ago? Uh, when was that? I, I it might have been last week. <sighs> um, and. So one thing I was wondering is the product itself is under GPL license, correct? Um, yeah, what, so go ahead. I was going to say, like, again, it goes back to it, it started as a project really before it was a product and before that product led to a company. Um, and it seems like one of the, one of the big things I got out, out of it was uh, – out of the session today was an amazing community – around it already and was that intentional or was that something that just kind of 
popped up or, you know, like how did that mindset yeah, or were yeah. you just kind of like you were you were just kind of bored and you were like, hey, I'm going to start this product and <laughs> so, here we are. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I owe a lot of my views on uh, open source to uh, folks like Greg DeKonersberg. Uh, he's at Eucalyptus and used to I worked with him at Red Hat. Um, but there was a, a paper he pointed me to in like Harvard Business Review, and it was it was a pretty cool idea. But it was like open source projects that are successful provide a way that somebody can contribute something really easily and see that value very very easily. So. Um, I've kept the code simple in the beginning and forever, really, as best I can, uh, so that it's, it's accessible to a wide variety of contributors. So right now, um, Ansible is like the most popular starred configuration project on, on GitHub, right? Which is really surprising to me, and I'm, I'm still kind of trying to understand what that means, right? Because it's a year and a half old, right? Um, but um, I think that, that that's it's kind of been by design, that I wanted to create something that was not... Uh, just a thing where I had the idea, but more so a community for people to help each other, and that's kind of what Cobbler became over time. Uh, and one of the reasons, ironically, Cobbler became that way is uh, it's like a few weeks or months into uh, my job at Red Hat, my boss left, and I was like kind of dotted lined into a you know a guy that I didn't see very often, and I just decided I'm going to let this IRC channel be my boss, and uh, we kind of just you know see what happens, and you get surprised every day, and. Uh, Things kind of come out from everywhere. And I think that's really what's, what open source is. is um, it's not about, I built this code and I'm going to give it away. It's about how can I get people from all these different organizations to share ideas and, and help each other out. And I think it goes back to, uh, it's, it's a slide I know I've seen of yours, Mark. Your, your kind of philosophy as well. So, yeah. I mean, if you don't mind, just kind of your funnel philosophy, right? Yeah. To, take them through your funnel slide yeah. real quick. Yeah. So, well, I would like to point out that Greg DeKennisberg is a very smart man and also part of the Raleigh-Durham <laughs> you know, open source brain trust. Um, but uh, And I, I actually had a, before I go there, but I, mm-hmm. I was really the question I had when with the GPL, which is I'm personally sort of lean towards the GPL because I love that mind. If I contribute a module or a mm-hmm. playbook to um, Ansible, how, what are the, what's the social norms of that community? Does, yeah. How do I, what kind of licensing, yeah. if I'm a individual or a company or how, like, like what, what terms do I provide that under? Yeah, so we're, we're pretty straightforward on all that. So everything in Ansible is GPL v3, and I did that just because I think it's a, a easier way to communicate the license. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the company and we're building some extra things on top that are, uh, that are commercial. Uh, but they're going to be free for everybody to try out. That AWX product comes out in a couple weeks. You can sign up on our website to see a webinar when that comes. Uh, I hate the word webinar, but it's a webinar. And you can learn about it and all that kind of good stuff. So it's going to give you REST API, role-based access control, a lot of cool stuff. But, um, but yeah, so everything in the core is GPL. But if you want to write a module on your own and not contribute it, uh, we don't really consider that linking because we're just transferring the module and running it and so on. And you, you're, you're not, you've got several ways to interact with it if you don't. Uh, but the way that it works is you go to github.com slash Ansible, and you just send me a GitHub pull request. And uh, I'm really happy that GitHub makes like all this like open source thing really, really popular because it's uh, their issue tracker is not very complicated. And sometimes as a maintainer, I'm like, I wish it was more complicated. But it's good because anybody can has a really low barrier to entry to sure. opening up an right. issue or adding some code or an idea. Um, there's also a mailing list in IRC that I'd, I'd recommend people join if they're interested. And you can find that at, on our website. Great. Cool. Um, 
I was just going to say real quick that that funnel thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I actually that funnel is just the embodiment my like visual embodiment of why open source works, and I sort of talked about that at a talk today. Is it's basically that that when people work in the community, you benefit. Everybody benefits, whether it's someone selling you something or they've contributed collectively. Where in a proprietary system, you just you know, even though somebody may not. Um, uh, Even though somebody may not contribute <clears throat> or purchase services from Ansible or whatever vendor it is, the community, the users get to benefit from each other. Yeah, so I think that's a kind of a, a, a thing that a lot of people don't get about open source is the best contributions are not always code. They're ideas. They're, sometimes it's documentation. Sometimes it's just as simple as uh, spelling fixes, right? Uh, but sharing, uh, sharing with others and helping people introduce new people to new tools and ideas, and that's that's what contribution is. It's not just about uh, whether you make a commit in the code tree. Yeah, yeah, and I find that that um, that the whole um, idea of sort of this modular development lets people do discrete things like this. It's like it's called collective intelligence. So all these discrete modules where you're encapsulating user context, because that's what makes software good. Like, I work for a software company. And sometimes we have solutions that are looking to solve problems, but user-driven software like Ansible and much of open source, that sysadmin's context on how to configure X is so valuable to you as a software developer because the right. the process you can nail, but some guy that puts out a Hadoop cluster, that guy knows what he needs to get done, and that helps. Exactly, and you're, you're starting something up, and you're like, hey, I don't remember how to do this in MySQL, but I see this as a parameter, so I, I can forget, and I can concentrate on like the business problem and, and getting my app out. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that's the unique thing that makes this generation of systems management tools so much better than the earlier management tools, because they... Oh, yeah. I mean, back in the beginning days, like, everybody wrote all their own scripts themselves, and uh, it was, and I think part of it is is making time for other people to do other things and advance their technology stacks and go learn and go play with some new technology and experiment and maybe fail some along the way And uh, versus, like, hey, I've just got to get this thing out and I've got to write all this myself and give everybody a little bit of extra time. And one thing I wanted to also talk about but that revolution kind of aspect is from a technical standpoint um, and it was I came up afterwards to introduce myself but one of the first things that everyone biggest comment was you know there's no agent in Ansible so there's no agent to install on boxes or anything that seems to be like the big thing where everyone's like really? <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. so Tell me a little bit about, like, was that one of those, uh, that was just a, you know, big thorn in your side to start? Like, was that the genesis of, it, how, like, how do I design this from the ground up with no agent or, like? Yeah, actually, so it was, it was kind of a little bit of that. So I was trying to get, actually trying to get my own project working for a, a previous employer. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm having trouble with this uh, PKI system, you know, cursing under my breath at SSL and NTP <laughs> and DNS and that. That was part of it, but part of it was uh, basically everybody said it couldn't be done. And I was like, I'm going to prove that wrong because I don't believe it. And if I don't manage to prove it wrong, at least I've tried. And uh, I think we've succeeded in proving it wrong. 
So everybody kind of thought that management over SSH means I run commands and I parse the results because that's what everybody did, but it's not. So what we do is we transfer little modules to the remote machines and they have their arguments baked into them and they return JSON, but they're programs, they're descriptions of state, and it's just S it's uh, SCP and, and simple commands and uh, very little low numbers of operations. Uh, SSH has this really, really awesome thing in it called control persist where it can keep connections open and do some neat things there. Um, and that allows you to do a lot of neat things. So not only do I get better performance because I don't have a daemon that might be sucking down you know, hundreds of megabytes of memory and in a virtualized capacity where I'm running 20 agents on a piece of physical hardware, that's a really big problem. But uh, I also don't have the additional ports open in the, and um, you know, to nobody's discredit, getting crypto right is very, very hard. So a lot of people have you know, SSL systems that have regular remote execution vulnerabilities. Uh, not to say that SSH is immune, but when it gets fixed, we don't have to handle it. Right. And uh, I believe it's one of the most peer-reviewed components out there. But you also get the idea that you know, when it's not running, it's not consuming any resources. I can instantly install and I can instantly manage uh, things in the field and I can do it with my OS credentials. So if I have, uh, if I have pseudo access on a box, maybe that's managed by Kerberos, maybe it's free IPA, maybe I'm using authorized keys and a pseudo file that I push out. That's all I need to manage the box. And I can control that because I have to control that anyway. Um, so it's not two levels of control, and I don't have this, like, uh, I don't want to say rootkit, but basically rootkit running on the box to, to worry about also. It's just I am using this channel that has been here for so long, and uh, it's something you're going to have anyway. And the beauty of SSH is with a lot of cloud systems, every one of these systems can uh, inject authorized keys when they start up, and uh, they're made for that. So you've got cloud in it and all those kind of things like that. And uh, it's like a really, really good marriage for, for you know, cloud provisioning. Very cool. Yeah, and I, I th just to kind of add to that, I think probably one of the biggest things I saw today was just a KISS philosophy to the entire product or project um, that it's one of those, like, I, I, uh, I was sitting next to the guy I was sitting next to, I was just kind of like, kind of looking at each other. It's like, huh, well, this is really simple. Why didn't anyone else, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, you kind of have one of those moments, you're like, oh, wow, okay, that's, that's pretty amazing. Like, why was that not done before? <laughs> yeah. no, so, I, kudos. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, anything else, Mark? No, I'm fully enlightened. You're, you're fully enlightened. Nice. So I think we are out of time for this week. Um, so, Michael, where can everyone find out more about the project and what's going on? All right, absolutely. So uh, best thing to do is to go to ansibleworks.com, A-N-S-I-B-L-E-W-O-R-K-S. And you can also go to github.com slash ansible and uh, follow us on GitHub. Awesome. Thank you very much. And... Mark, do you have anything you want to pimp while you're here? Well, you kind of dropped in last second here, so thank you. I would love for you to manage Apache Cloud Stack, Zen Project, and Zen Server with I, I, Ansible. I, I would I would be glad to accept your patches for Cloud Stack modules. So we should, we should, we should talk about that after we, we, uh, we sign off. We definitely off. will. <laughs> and if you're listening out there, we would love to see you, the users, submit them to. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Very cool. All right. So if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at the Cloudcast Net. 
are on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>